0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Weekend Warm-Up. This is Chuck Smith here to deliver you another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. And once again, I've got a special guest. Now, last week I spent time in this slot uh, chatting with Schnitzel, but my old buddy, Tom Adams, is back with me. The Dream Team is back. It's been a while since we connected. Uh, Tom had a busy night, though, tonight, so I don't know how much energy he's going to have. His beer league team they're playing indoor right now I uh, had a game tonight so I want to get into this Tom how'd you guys do
1: we pulled out a 6-3 win Chuck and I gotta say I, I pulled off my best Joshua Kimick, Steven Gerard, Patrick Vieira <laughs> whatever you want to call it playing as that holding midfielder I mean it's only 7v7 indoors so it's kind of you know awkward formations but you know in my typical Thomas Muller player slash manager fashion, <laughs> you know, I always am adamant about having a sitter right in front of those defenders. We usually play two defenders in front of the keeper and that one holding the midfield player. Because I just think, you know, Chuck, I know that you have uh, kids that are playing the game. You know, I know they play indoor sometimes in the winter, but to me, it's just paramount on those smaller fields to have someone who's good on the ball and can distribute like playing in the back. Because when you don't have that, it just gets like super frenetic long ball, kick and run, which is just like, you know, I absolutely hate and I despise that style of play. Uh, and sometimes when everybody gets tired, it reverts to that. And I'm just kind of like rolling my eyes. And, you know, my inner Julian Nagelsmann tactician is just kind of like sighing constantly. But, you know, we, we pulled out the win, uh, ate dinner, still haven't even showered, which is disgusting. I don't know why I'm like revealing that information to people, uh, but I just wanted to get stuck into it. I know it's been so long since you and I have been on a podcast together. And this is actually my first time on the weekend warm up. I know I've been harassing you about getting on the weekend warm-up <laughs> so we could have some, like, 80s hair metal references and, you know, <laughs> hilarious pop culture references that make me, like, die laughing in our Slack channel when we joke about it. But uh, this is awesome to be on the weekend warm-up, a little bit of a different format than some of our other shows. And, uh, you know, I, I also think it's great that we're getting a lot more voices involved in Bavarian Podcast Works, and it's, uh, it's awesome. It's good to actually feel, uh, like, forever since I've been on, when in reality it's only been a week and a half at the time we're recording just because we have so much activity and it's awesome. You know, the BPW show is uh, is on the map, so to speak. And it, and it's awesome to, you know, to see that happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Tom, I did warm up for this show by listening to some quiet, Riot, uh, Some twisted sister, some rat. So I know that's all right. in Your wheelhouse <laughs> as well. So yes. Yes. <laughs> even
1: as uh, even though I'm only 30 years old, I, I love all that old uh, you know, that eighties metal stuff <laughs> to me. It's just such a fascinating <laughs> era. And like, a fascinating, fascinating genre of music. Um, I like had even read The Dirt. I don't know how I uh, got that book when I was a freshman in high school and oh, uh, so. was exposed to <laughs> you probably learned some... a lot from that book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. Uh, the first page of that book is uh, very descriptive about, uh, let's just say, um, you know, a female fan uh, of the band and, and how much they hung out with her. And I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty crazy. <laughs> and I will I will defend this. the The movie. I feel like did not do the book justice. If there's any big like Motley Crue fans out there, I'm not a big Crue fan myself, but you know, I just happened to read the book. It's one of the great uh, rock and roll autobiographies among many other ones. And yeah, I I don't want to get stuck doing too many eighties metal uh, references, but to me, they're just like hilarious. I know uh, in our Slack channel, we were trying to rank our top five power ballads. You know, I think (laughs) power ballads, I think that's a movement that needs to come back. The millennials today, they just don't understand power ballads are awesome they do not that get is it. that is a style that needs to come back the love songs the shredding guitar solos the screeching vocals chuck it needs to come back i know that you support me in this
0: i totally do and here's what i promise next time you're on you are going to have your list prepared and ready and we will debate that list uh because that would be kind of fun now i gotta ask you this about your your indoor team now, do you guys typically go out for beers afterwards, or you just kind of split? Because I, I know when I was doing the whole adult sports thing, I mean, one of the one of my favorite things uh, was when I played deck hockey. So after I, I played college baseball, after that, I played some men's league baseball for a while. I did the men's basketball, I did flag football, and I one of my favorite things was deck hockey because you could really play anytime from like five fifteen p.m. to eleven p.m. So no matter when you played in that window, you could always go out and get some beers afterwards. So I always looked forward to that. Is that just like with rollerblades or is that on foot? It's like floor hockey, really. It's like a hard plastic surface with a ball, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you had to be in good cardio shape. So I'd probably die right now that I'm 45 (laughs) trying to do that. But what was one of the highlights of my, uh, early adult years when uh, before I had kids and when I was married and my wife didn't, you know, when she was sick of me and didn't want me around. So uh, <laughs> that was one way to make things uh, get better by going and sweating my butt off for like an hour and then going to the beer, going to the bar and getting some beer. So I always look forward to that. Uh, Well, I would say so before COVID happened, I was in a routine of
1: playing actually the session just before COVID happened. I was doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then some Tuesday nights. Um, I would say the uh, I, I sound super lame, but like I would always usually go home, and have like a protein shake or branch chain amino acids with like a decent meal, um, you know, because the games back then used to be like eight, nine or 10 uh, or sometimes even 11. So they were just super late and I was never about like staying after. But my Friday league. Uh, I would kind of stay after. And there were some times I left. I would literally be like, guys, you know, Liverpool's on at 730. And then I got to cover the Bayern game at 930. So I'd be that guy checking out at like 1030 p.m. But <laughs> wow, you're lame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've had some fun stuff, like a few of the the guys on my team. Uh, none of the girls, unfortunately, uh, but a few of the guys on my team are big in the fantasy Premier League. So we would always basically just banter about that over a pitcher of beer uh, and just like make fun of each other constantly for terrible fantasy decisions and like mistakes that we made in the game. But unfortunately, Chuck, the facility I play at now, they're pretty much kind of like in and out uh, and they sanitize the benches and like the equipment in between and you just can't hang out in the bar. Um, you could see like some some people congregate in the parking lot. Uh, and have quite a few both before and after the game, but obviously that's <laughs> something I don't really advocate, like drinking and driving. Uh, you definitely want to enjoy responsibly, but unfortunately, there's not not much of that, you know, going on at that facility anymore. But you know, it, I'd rather just be able to play, uh, you know, play footy and get back into it with everything that's gone on. I was jonesing and chomping at the bit for a long time to get back into it, and thankfully I have that. And you know, with all my uh, connections to Bayern Munich, the German culture, I can just go out and. Get all the best Oktoberfest beers and enjoy uh, several of them uh, at at home. So that's uh, that's always something I have in the back pocket. It doesn't have to be there. And let's be honest, Chuck, they don't have uh Stefana, Hefeweizen. Well, that's true. Uh, Oktoberfest Weizen. Uh, you know, any, any good Mertzins, it's pretty much just Bud
0: light, water, Coors Light and all that crap. That There's nothing there. wrong with a Miller light every once in a while, Tom. Yeah, now, okay. Yeah. Key part. Every once in a while. <laughs> I, I will, I will back you up on this. There is simply nothing better than sitting around, knocking back a few beers and debating dumb things with your friends or acquaintances or whatever. It's one of my favorite things to do. And speaking of that, Tom, we are going to shift our talk into Bayern Munich and the form that they had. Heading into the break, and, and I'll tell you this, you know they ended ended the I guess whatever this was called this first segment of the season with a with an unexpected loss. But I wasn't troubled by that loss. In fact, like it you know it's one of those things that was bound to happen to me. You know this is the accumulation of the mileage that some of the players have put on. I'm not worried about the team's form. I'm not worried about the coach. Really not worried about much at this point. I love the talent. I love the depth. I think this was a blip on the radar. I think Byron looks great. And uh, I think there are a lot of good things to come for this season. What have you seen so far, Tom? I mean, I, were you shook up by that loss?
1: No, and I'll kind of, kind of explain my rationale for that. You look at seasons past, whether it's uh, Carlo Ancelotti, even Jephankis, Niko Kovac, uh, and now uh, Julian Nagelsmann, it's just it's almost impossible You know, to uh, achieve the unthinkable, kind of the uh, untouchables, the Arsene Wenger 2003-2004 Arsenal and, you know, go a whole season without getting beaten. I know the Premier League is an entirely different beast than the Bundesliga, uh, and that's an entirely separate argument altogether. But if you kind of just go back and look at all of these seasons in in recent past, there's kind of always that, uh, I I guess from Bayern's standpoint, bending but not breaking. But there's always that one break, and it's just always going to happen. It just seems kind of inevitable, but, you know, we're a squad that always seems to bounce back from it. And for whatever reason, there's just a few teams that really seem to be the banana skin for us. Borussia Mönchengladbach, we obviously drew uh, earlier this season. They gave us a spanking a few seasons back at the Allianz Arena, 3-0. Eintracht Frankfurt, who we all know we can remember, November 2019, the 5-1 at the Commerce Bank Arena that inevitably led to Niko Kovac. Leaving the club and Hansi Flick taking over, which was a blessing in disguise, as we all sort of know at this point. So, Chuck, I mean, I, I kind of was thinking about this before we were rec- recording. And from a defensive standpoint, I was looking at it. Only Mainz and Freiburg have a better defensive record than Bayern. I think they've both conceded five goals to our seven, um, if, if I remember from what I looked at relatively recently. And, you know, I was thinking about it. even if you had like Virgil Van Dyke, Dio Upamacano, or, you know, a pairing of like Van Dyke, Ruben Diaz, Trent Alexander Arnold, and Alfonso Davies on the left, I- I'd like, this would still happen. I still think that people have a tendency, you know, I, I would say the average fan, whether they're just a fan of the Bundesliga or Bayern, um, kind of a couple steps back from all of us, you know, we're kind of really super nerdy about it, as are a lot of our followers on Bavarian Football Works and Bavarian Podcast Works. Uh, but I still think that there's some people who are just kind of losing the, the losing sight of the fact of how aggressive everything has been since COVID. I mean, these guys have gone like nonstop. The mileage, as you mentioned earlier, is just absolutely insane. Yeah, and, and I yeah, think
0: I think you're you're 100 percent dead on and and. Like it's just not in
1: human nature, and regardless of who's out there, like you take a look, someone like Robert Lewandowski, you know, completely freakishly inhuman with how fit he is and how in shape. Like he's like rarely been injured, Chuck, throughout his uh, Bayern career, bar last year with that knee injury, you know, during during COVID, which was actually, you know, you don't want to say COVID benefited anybody, but that break lined up with his rest period, and we got him back, you know, during the restart. But it's just, you know. It, if this, with this personnel, with the way they're playing under Nagelsmann, if this had happened in a normal season without COVID and everything, the fixture congestion that's followed it, I think it'd be more of a concern than it actually is. But, I mean, I think we have to take that into consideration and kind of compartmentalize. I'm still very pleased with the way this side is playing under Nagelsmann, especially after starting the season with the 1-1 draw. You know, I thought the writing was on the wall for things to be iffy. But, you know, after that, we were really impressive and, you know, we have to consider too wasn't it the same exact lineup chuck from uh, dinamo kiev uh to eintracht frankfurt not one change
0: yeah i believe so and it like to me like when i when i looked at that game and i absorbed everything that was happening the thing that really hit me was that just as an observer, I was comfortable, so comfortable with the way Bayern Munich was playing. Like, oh, yeah, they 100%. just looked invincible. So when they lost, the initial shock of them losing was like, oh wow, they, 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 you know, they're they are human. This is a team full of humans. They're not invincible, but uh, they were so good just throughout that month of September uh, that you know I think we all just got kind of lured into thinking that you know they wouldn't lose. But it's, you know, in the end, it's one of those things. And you hit on, like, just what this has been like for the players since COVID and, and just the accumulation of everything, the wear and tear. And that's really the only critique I would have of how Nagelsmann has has handled this team. Everything else has been great. He has yeah. the defense teed up. The offense is creative and fun. Like, they're really fun. Like, if you watch them, there are so many good runs, so many creative passes everyone's looking to go forward. It It is a fun team to watch.
1: And he's turned Leroy Sané into Leroy Sané 2.0. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, none of the other previous managers had, like, could have done. I mean, the, the opportunity was there, but they just didn't do it. Nagelsmann has, has found the, uh, the secret key.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. And, I mean, who would think? I mean, Kingsley Coman is arguably the fourth best winger on the team now. So it, it, it's kind of crazy. So I, I know, like, I'm looking forward to see how how they respond to that loss and how things all come together after this break. But uh, you know, one of the key figures, Tom, that we've seen really emerge this season. And I've talked about him several times. I know you and I have had some conversations about him, but Nicholas Sula has been so impressive to me uh, throughout this opening part of the season. And I, I always kind of attribute it to him having that confidence back in his knee. He's in that second year after his ACL surgery. So now he is, in that stage that athletes go through where they regain confidence, they start to feel like themselves again, and you can really see it translate to his game on the pitch. Consequently, he's also in the throes of negotiations with Bayern Munich, which we found out this week have not been going anywhere. And it seems more and more likely that Sula could be working his way to England, Tom. So I know that old hashtag English Tom will have some thoughts on this. But, sure yeah. But uh, you know, when I look at Sula, I see a foundational center back that I would want on my team moving forward. You know, after the WhatsApp controversy that we saw a couple of weeks back, you know, after all of the rumors that have come out over the past few weeks that have really been linking him to leaving Bayern Munich, how do you think this is going to play out? Because right now it doesn't look good. And I, I'm of the mindset that I think the team needs to retain him.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny when we're, you're mentioning center back and, you know, I'm in the back of my mind, I'm saying, well, Chuck, you know, we can also see him play right back as he's done, you know, in the previous two matches. And, And it's not as if it's, it was just Nagelsmann who poof decided to try him at right back. Like we've seen this before, and I can, I can, I can, I can envision what In would be saying. I need no name when he listens to this on the Slack channel because he is not the biggest fan of, excuse me, biggest fan of Benjamin Pavar. <laughs> and he has called for Nagelsmann to just sort of make Josip Stanisic the bona fide starter at right back for us. Which, which I do. I, I share that sentiment. You know, I think. Pavard is sort of playing with not a chip on his shoulder but kind of like the the warning bells or the warning warning alarm so to speak and you kind of saw that against Greuter Forth where he made that irrational decision got sent off and that's a, a step backward and you know it's unfortunate for him that the suspension comes uh or excuse me the international break comes in between the two matches that he's suspended for I believe Leverkusen after the break would be the next match that he's suspended for but you know, like he just i think he's he realizes the presence of Stanislav and the fact that Nikola Zula can play right back so he's always playing with that worry uh and those alarm bells and for Nikola Zula when i kind of tie this into Kimmich's extension Goretzka's extension and the fact that because of the financial situation at the club both of those guys were well, I don't want to say 100% because I don't know what went on behind the scenes. But in the end, they ultimately decided to be okay with not taking as much money uh, as they're definitely worth their weight in gold because it was more important to them for the core of players at Bayern Munich to stay together. And we've heard whispers and rumors that both Serge Gnabry and Thomas Müller are soon to follow suit as well because they have upcoming expiring contracts. And Niklas Sula is actually part of that same core. I believe they actually call him a 95 95- Fiverr, uh, because like uh, Kimmich and Goretzka, I apologize if I'm getting this wrong. It's Kimmich and somebody else and Nikola Sula. I think Gnabry is the other Gnabry, Fiver. Yeah. Um, You know, those guys all want to stay together. And, and I think that Kimmich, Goretzka, Ganabry Müller, Neuer, all the leaders in the squad, Lewandowski, I think they're all going to be whispering in his ear because I think it would be a huge loss. Even if we get you know a considerable fee for him, we Had heard the rumors about the potential swap deal with Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea and Antonio Rudiger. But we now know that Rudiger really isn't thinking uh, about a move to Bayern. You know, why would he? He's a bonafide starter at Chelsea. Chelsea's on a tear. They're currently number one in the Premier League. He just won a Champions League. Why would he want to move from that situation? Um, But, you know, Thiago Silva's aging. Christensen's future is uncertain. Rudiger might not want to come our way but we can't say that Nikola Sula definitely doesn't want to go that way and you know work for who I think was one of the better Bundesliga managers and got kind of a bad rap I know that uh Tuchel had sort of a tear in his relationship with uh Vatsky after the um well there was uh, their relationship was kind of on thin ice and then the bus attack happened uh yeah. ahead of that, that match against AS Monaco yeah and Vatsky I think think the story I don't want to speak for Dortmund fans um, but if I recall correctly Tuchel was really standing up for his players some of them that were really uh, physiologically psychologically affected by that who did not want to play that match the second day and Votsky sort of um, you know didn't really uh, go up to bat for that when he was speaking with UEFA they played the next day and then obviously Kylian Mbappe, Kylian Mbappe, (laughs) Borussia Dortmund and uh, AS Monaco went through and then they were inevitably uh, knocked out of that competition, I think by Juventus in the semifinals or quarterfinals, whatever it was. But, um, you know, so I want Nicolas Zula to stay. And the Bayern bias in me is going to say that that core of players, which I was just speaking about, are going to have a lot to do. And Nagelsmann is going to have a lot to do with uh, uh, Nicolas Zula potentially staying. And did they not work together at Hoffenheim as well? Yeah, um, they did. They did,
0: and and the, yeah. the, the interesting part of all this is wh- what we've heard about everybody or all the players that have been linked to other places, you know, away from Bayern Munich is that they want more cash, they want you know, want a bigger salary. But Sula, the latest reports say he only wants ten million euro per year. I yeah. only right. I mean, <laughs> but
1: but well, that yeah, is the such a reason lower at, on yeah. the on Bayern scale, right? Like that be relatively low.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very reasonable figure for a player who could be a starter for you for the next six seven years. I mean, to me, I think this is a deal that has to happen. I think that you and I both want to see this happen. Uh, You know, his physical ability, his speed for his size, uh, his athleticism, his versatility, and being able to fill many roles along the back line it's not not just like he can play the right center back or the right back position he can His slide over as well yeah like I he mean, rarely
1: he rarely plays a uh you know a, a non-completed pass
0: yeah i mean i i think that he's got so much going for him that i don't know i'd be disappointed i'll say if this doesn't happen because i while byron does have luca hernandez they have and they have Dio I mean, what seemed like dozens of good young center backs, either on loan or in their youth system. Uh, I think Sula is has the potential to be so good. Uh, you know, once he matures a little bit more on the field, and I'm not saying he's an immature player by any means, but I think that he's got just a little bit more growing to do on the pitch, just like any player would. And as he starts to grow into that world-class caliber caliber player that I think he can be. I think I mean, I think this is would be a big mistake for Bayern Munich not to do everything they can to bring him back. But in the end, it's in his hands. And if Sula wants to leave, he will. And, Tom, another player that we know wants to leave his current club is Red Bull Salzburg striker Kareem Adeyemi, who has been very closely linked to Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, and Arbe Leipzig, uh, when we look at Adiemi, and we know that if he were to come to Bayern Munich, I mean, a label would be slapped upon him right away. He'd be the next Lewandowski. He would be, you know, the heir apparent. I don't understand this rumor for the life of me. Uh, and there's one primary reason: Salzburg wants 30 to 35 million euro for Adiemi, right? Which, in the end, it could be a bargain for such a talented player, but. I don't see Lewandowski slowing down. And I know people will say, well, you're the same idiot that wants Bayern to go sign Erling Haaland, right? Okay, yeah, I do. I would take Lewandowski and Haaland and and put them atop any formation, and I'll take anybody on. I think that would be great. But at the same time, I can't see Bayern, you know, one, if they could get Holland, I couldn't see them passing on him if he wanted to come and they could get him at a reasonable price. It, you'd be insane not to get him. I don't care who is on the roster. You, you find a way to make that work. But Yemi is not Holland. And for that price tag in this financial climate, I can't see Bayern making that investment because I think that there are other areas on the team that they're going to need to shore up. And one of them could be center back if Niklas Sula leaves. But what do you think about this, Tom? I, I don't, I mean, you know how I feel. I, I'm not sure I get this. I don't get the link. I understand that he's German. I understand he has a history with Bayern Munich, but I just don't see why Bayern would want to bring in another young striker, another young player for that price tag at this point.
1: Yeah, just like you were just echoing the sentiment, or just as you were saying, I'll echo the sentiment. You know, He's young, he's German, he's connected with Bayern Munich, who we now have a manager who has a very, very excellent track record of working with younger players. Both were his time at RB Leipzig as well as Hoffenheim, and it, it, I agree with you uh, uh, on the Holland factor. I personally feel that Holland is going to wind up getting an extension at Borussia Dortmund at least for another season or two, um, and then I naturally, I truly believe that he his destination is in the Premier League. Oh, and I, oh <laughs>
0: you're you're killing me, Tom.
1: <laughs> it's it's very difficult to get inside. You know, the mind, because from a fan point of view uh, um, and also someone who's like footballing fandom revolved around Steven Gerrard, who kind of like John Terry. I mean, those guys of the world are kind of gone. I mean, the amount of times Mm -hmm. Jose Mourinho tried to pry Steven Gerrard away from Liverpool when he was manager of Chelsea and then subsequently Real Madrid uh, when, when he was manager there in La Liga. You know, Steven Gerrard thought about a lot of those. He was really, you know, entertaining, especially in 2005 uh, after Roman Abramovich had taken charge of the club, you know, but, you know, he's family members, he's from Wiston. he's from Merseyside. He, you could either, you know, win a trophy with Liverpool and it means everything to you or win 15 with Chelsea and it'll just be a trophy cabinet, right? So, I mean, those days are kind of long gone. Unfortunately, that's just the way um the way the footballing world works now and I don't really have any problems with that but you know I'm always going to have that uh unconscious bias if you will but I I think there's a little bit of that from Holland I I think that's in the back of his mind legacy um you know you have your Mario Goetze Robert Lewandowski who's who've come from Dortmund and gone to Bayern and you know Lewandowski I think gets a free pass because of how immaculate of a striker he is and Holland's following in his footsteps certainly, but you know how what would his legacy be like in Dortmund if he were to, to come to to Bayern right after, and you know that it just pushes that narrative, right? We complain about it uh, and highlight it all the time. Not necessarily complain, but we just you know it, it's one thing to say Bayern just poaches all their rivals ta- rivals' talents, um, but there's really no uh, echoing that from an educated standpoint from someone who actually knows the substance and what goes on and you know, the history of how Bayern Munich is run and, you know, our our, our scouting department and how we go about our business. Like, we shouldn't be lambasted for being fiscally responsible uh, and being smart in the right areas and having a well-founded history of how our club is run, right? The average person, when they tout that argument, they don't really think about that. Um, So in that sense, if we're talking Haaland versus Adeyemi, I think the latter makes more sense, like all those things I just mentioned. I personally think, with you know Lewandowski's track record, he can easily play for Bayern at the top level for another three or four years. So that's obviously yeah, for sure uh, a few seasons. And you know Didi Haman said it. I think Lothar Mateus said it. Uh, I think uh, I even wrote an article about it. Who the hell was saying this? Oh, Mario Mario Gomez. Sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, because he's now an Amazon Prime pundit uh, in Germany for the Champions League, and he might be accepting a position at uh, RB Leipzig. That was the article I'd written. So, I mean, those guys are not, you know, stupid. You know, they have a very good sense of the footballing landscape and the the Bundesliga specifically and how it works. So, you know, I kind of agree with all those guys. I know Haman kind of has uh, some contro- controversial opinions sometimes. Likewise, Mateus, uh, even though they're both, you know, absolutely excellent players, they were excellent players in their day. But. I just, I still, while I would say Adiemi is more likely for Bayern, I personally think that Bayern are planning in, for the future with trying to make a move for Florian Wirtz uh, from Bayern yeah. Leverkusen. I think he's the main guy that Bayern would have their eye on in that same department. I'm not sure what the age discrepancy is between uh, Florian Wirtz and uh, Adiemi, um, but obviously Florian Wirtz is somebody on out, out an absolute tear this season for Leverkusen. We'll get to see him. Uh, in the first match. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt, but in the first match back from the international break at the Bay Arena, where Bayern travels to in the first match back from the international break. But realistically, I think the future goals, I think, in the, in the Bayern's front office, we're planning how to try and finagle of that. Uh, and adiyami I think it would just make more sense, you know, a la Borussia Dortmund, perhaps RB Leipzig, obviously one of the feeder clubs, sister clubs to RB Salzburg. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And <laughs> right now, Jesse Marsh and RB Leipzig just seem to be uh, desperate for like anything productive that can yeah. help them out. I, I feel terrible for him. I'm a huge Jesse Marsh fan, but you know they have just been like com- completely off the pace of what they've been in the past couple seasons. On, on ugh, excuse me, in the past couple seasons under Nagelsmann.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate what's happening with Leipzig, but I think that that team was just they're at a spot where they've had so much turnover in personnel, they had a managerial turnover it was time for them not quite – I'm not going to say they're going to have an off year because I believe in the end they will rebound and be among the top six teams.
1: You can just say what you're really thinking, Chuck. I, like, what player <laughs> left and then all the stuff they didn't <laughs> Well, it right is
0: wrong. It is all tied to Timo. I mean, once he left, every, <laughs> everything was downhill after that. But, yeah, I mean, for Adeyemi, I, I just – you know, and it's nothing against him. I do think he's a very talented player. I don't get wanting to invest 30 to 35 million in him at this point. Uh, you know, you have Lewandowski who, like you said, Tom, I mean, he's in such good shape. It's it's easy to think he could give you three to four, five good years. I, I don't know.
1: Chuck, I'm surprised dessert before dinner hasn't become like more of a big. Yeah, game.
0: it really should. I mean, <laughs> like everybody should be doing, maybe the entire Bayern team is doing that. Maybe that's can just why en- they're envision-
1: good- <laughs> I can just envision, well, obviously dessert before dinner has specific guidelines you have to fall i mean you can't just like you know not exercise and then eat three pieces of cake and then have <laughs> a <laughs> massive dinner like that's not how it works it has to do with the breakdown of like uh you know uh complex versus non-complex carbohydrates based off of his training right i'm surprised it's not like one of those things where um i'm actually not even a big sunny in philadelphia fan but i know there's one episode where they want to get like big <laughs> they all do, do steroids uh, and they yes. don't even work out and they just have the worst side effects uh, from it I'm a a
0: fan of that show. Obviously, Uh, I I totally enjoy it. So you probably remember the episode I'm talking about. I'm surprised there's not a bunch of
1: like (laughs) footy fans. are Like, yeah, dessert before dinner, and like this huge epidemic of people gaining like lots of weight, trying to be like Lewandowski.
0: Yeah, something tells me he's about the only one that can pull that off. (laughs) I think Tom. Like one more. I guess one more footballing thing I wanted to touch on uh, for this week's episode was something that kind of came up today. And I think, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. You know, obviously I was a huge Hansi flick fan and I was, you know, stick with flick from the beginning. Like as soon as he was brought in after I saw his first game, I was hooked because I felt like the players responded to him. And there was something special about the way that he built relationships with his players. And it looks like he's doing the same thing with Germany, which is I mean, for those of us that have been following Germany over the past, what, six years, seven years, since 2014, uh, it's kind of been a struggle. And I'll say with Yogi Love, things really went downhill uh, in the second half of 2017. And it really went downhill fast after that. The last four years were a mess. And uh, to see someone come in who's got the right mentality, who is not as much worried about the tactics and working with these players and the strategy as much as he is about building them up, building relationships with them, them, opening lines of communication. I'll tell you, it's been refreshing. And one, like I attribute that to how successful Germany was over the last international break. More than any strategy, more than any formation, I think Hansi Flick has enabled a sense of openness, just a good feeling around that roster. And What we learned that he's done over the past couple of weeks and not just working with Julian Nagelsmann to get Leroy Sané back on track one. That's, I mean, listen, obviously Flick has a stake in Sané doing well, but to go out of his way, to to work with Nagelsmann to develop a plan to help Sané find himself. I mean, to me, that is exactly what you want in a national team coach. And the fact that he's doing the same thing with Thomas Tuchel and Timo Werner uh, it just shows that Hansi Flick's not there to jet set. He's not there to, to, to just show up and think he's going to win trophies. He's legitimately trying to build something. And even something as small as bringing in Herman Gerland to to work with the U21s and get that next generation ready for what Flick wants. I mean, he's thrown himself 100% into, the, into this, which I think you and I knew he would. But I've come away so impressed, Tom, and it has really nothing to do with the results that we've seen on the pitch. What what, what do you say about Hansi Flick at this point? I mean, you have to be pretty happy about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot working for him in in, in the sense of, you know, the continuity, right? I mean, we obviously know there's always a heavy Bayern uh, Munich contingent. Uh, when the Dimanschaff camps come around for the qualifiers, international breaks, friendlies, obviously the tournaments themselves. So there's obviously that. He has so much experience working with those guys. And what's beneficial is that a lot of those guys like Neuer, Muller, Goretzka, Kimmich, they're already becoming veterans of both Bayern Munich and Dimanschaff, the German national team. And a lot of it too is just like I kind of think back to this and he's had so much time and so much exposure really to kind of sit back and see what works. And I think more importantly, what doesn't work because with what works, uh, it's easier to implement those tactics, those ideas in your own sense when you know what you want. And check, I mean, how many years was he, uh, Joachim Love's assistant at the German national team from like 2006? to 2014 yeah, it was, if it I was a long record. tour of duty there. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that is a lot if you think about that. I mean, so and so he was in and around the Bundesliga as well in between uh Germany winning in Brazil and becoming an assistant manager and then taking over for Nico Kovac at Bayern Munich. So let's just like think about that for a second. I mean, the evolution and everything that Germany has gone through from 2006 up until, I mean, when was it technically announced? Uh, summer of 20, 2021, right? That he'd be yep. taking over. Uh, we knew that in like just, we knew that just before the Euros, right? That uh, Joachim Love was officially going to be stepping down, and Hansi Flick would be taking over. So from that, from that point all the way back to 2006, Chuck, so much had happened,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Getting
1: knocked out in the semis in, by Italy in the World Cup. I mean, uh, Euro uh, 2008, Euro 2012. Obviously, they lost in the final to Spain, Euro 2008. Just like a plethora of so many different players had come through you know, the German national team and like some legends, you know, Michael Ballack, Bastian Schweinsteiger, Thomas Muller seems like he's been around since the stone ages. <laughs> but I mean, like Miroslav Klose for, for two of those tournaments, which I've just mentioned, even Marco Royce was fit for Euro 2012. It seems like he always gets a terrible break or injury, you know, when it comes time for an international tournament. But I mean, I, I because of that, like everything is benefiting Hansi Flick. And if you actually kind of like sit back, and think about this, which is something I didn't really think about when we heard the news that Joaquin Love would be stepping down after the Euros. It's just like, honestly, at the time when, you know, because it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Joaquin Love, that announcement came before we knew it was Hansi Flick. Flick diplomatically remained tight-lipped, but we all kind of obviously knew the writing was on the wall and that that news was going to become official very soon, right? So we win the Bundesliga title, and then all of a sudden that news becomes official. We're like, yeah, we we know. We know. He was just being very respectful, very tactful, very diplomatic, as I said. But think about all that, Chuck. It's like, honestly, you know, you have Stefan Kuntz, who's done a lot of work with the U21s before he uh, initially moved on or eventually moved on. Sorry, but like, Chuck, like, who better? Really? Right. Like, this guy's been around the German national team for everything. He's seen uh, Das Reboot come to fruition. He's seen what Joachim Love was holding on to at the end of his tenure. He's seen how that didn't work and how he failed in Russia and subsequently the Nations League. I mean, it's really amazing to think about. I mean, he's seen a complete evolution, right? Going up to the top, the tippy top and the pinnacle, winning in Brazil all the way back down to the bottom, crashing out of the group stages for the first time ever, and then barely scraping by out of the group uh, at the Euros. And then pretty much, I mean, I don't want to get any hashtag English Tom rants, but (laughs) I will take the objective hat, put it on. And I mean, that was basically a home match for England, which is kind of unfair. But, you know, I even as someone who supports England and Liverpool, I felt terrible for Thomas Muller when he missed that chance. But don't want to go off on a tangent. But Chuck, I mean, honestly, who like try to pick someone better? Like who else has seen all of that and had that exposure? And like, I think we're now seeing how much that benefited Uh, the German national team and what he's bringing to the table now.
0: Yeah. It's kind of funny because you, you see so many instances where an assistant coach will finally get the opportunity or someone who's historically been an assistant coach, they get the opportunity. They finally get to sit in the manager's chair and then they have no idea how to handle it either tactically or with relationships. They have no clue, but it was been, it's been the complete opposite for flick and I still go back to those first couple of games when he took over for Nico Kovac and just how things felt differently. They didn't just look different. They felt different. Everyone could see. I mean, there was something with the players, something with the way that they actually played on the field. Yeah. And the um, second one
1: was a dare classic.er like, I think yeah. it was a five nil, <laughs> right. just battered Dortmund off the pitch.
0: Yeah. And, and like, I don't want to get like I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I know this Germany team is flawed. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say they're going to win the World Cup, but what I will tell you is he will have them ready and they're going to be a tough out for everybody. So I don't know that there are going to be many teams that are going to face off with Germany, whereas in the 2018 World Cup, I think everyone wanted a piece of Germany <laughs> during that one. And you know, obviously at the Euros while it was a little bit better. Um, Still wasn't great. So I think Flick is definitely the guy to get everything righted and put in the right direction. Uh, And, you know, it should be a lot of fun. And I think that's what we're going to see over the next few days during this break.
1: So, Chuck, are you saying that Hansi is the man to get Timo Werner his first World Cup goal?
0: (laughs) I think so. I absolutely I think he will. Will you cry when that moment happens? (laughs) I know I, I will would get the train horn going. I'm going to pull that. <laughs> I'm going to pull that. So it's kind of funny. Like Werner has become like the whipping boy for everyone, whether you like Chelsea, hate Chelsea, anyone, everybody is just taking shots at Werner. And I don't know. I don't know much about the guy. I don't obviously don't know him personally. What was the uh now? Uh, what did he what does he put ketchup on 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 noodles like he's just a weird (laughs) guy do you stand
1: for that no i I actually
0: wrote a post like kind of (laughs) like denouncing that like kind of washing my hands of that whole situation but he's i mean he's a guy who he seems like oddly a professional athlete he's a little sensitive not sensitive in terms of like i think he's sitting in his locker room crying or anything in his locker crying i just think that all of this all of the hate that's been directed at him uh i think he's kind of taken it to heart and for him to reach his potential he's gonna really have to block that out and more than anything more than hanzi flick more than thomas tuchel he really might need a sports psychologist just to yeah, talk he's to dealt with it a lot for a long
1: time too yeah. i remember uh back when he was with leipzig it was like the Schalke fans i think uh, something to do with, like, they thought he died, and then he got, like, persistently abused uh, by the Schalke fans. I, I, I don't know why Schalke is sticking out in my mind, but I feel like it was them. This was, had to have been, like, two or three seasons ago, and, you know, he's he spoken at the time about how, how much that affected him.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I hope the guy can clear his head and get right, because I think he could be dynamic under Flick, just like Havertz or Muller or... Sané or Gnabry, I mean, they have so many attacking options, and all of those players at one point or another have taken direct shots from So people on social media, pundits, whatever. But, you know, Gnabry is reba- rebounding. Sané is rebounding. Muller has revived his career. Mm-hmm. Havertz scored the game winner in the Champions League finale last year. So there's talent there. I mean, sure, they don't have a natural target man striker right now, but it doesn't mean Flick can't work with that. I've always said that I think Flick has an idea how to work with Havertz and Werner and how to make things work. You know, whatever happened last year with Sané and Flick, if you really look at Sané and how he evolved over the course of that year, he made greater strides in having the coaching to get him to commit to always tracking back, to becoming a better defensive player. All of that now has has come to form, and he's become such a, a a better player, more complete player because of that. That first year, like we talked about with Nicholas Sula earlier, after an ACL injury, is never good for any athlete in any sport. And, and that sure, was the second I, one of his career as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think everybody expected a lot out of him last year because he was the white whale. He was who Byron chased for eighteen months, and, and it was unrealistic to think he was going to come in to a new team, fit right in and score, you know, 25 goals or whatever. And and like, you know, I was pretty hard on him last year, but I was more hard on him about the way he handled some situations more so than his play on the pitch. And I think he's learned from it. I think he's matured from it and he's become a better all around player. And I think that is the perfect example of what flick can do with some of these guys and that's why i'm expecting a lot of positive things for germany in the near future now tom the last thing before we go that i'm going to hit on and it's kind of funny because you might be the only person i know who was not into the sopranos at one <laughs> point or another but the rage in pop culture and social media this week is the Sopranos sequel the many saints of Newark, and i'm not going to give any spoilers I just want to give you my quick take, Tom. Now, I, you have you ever even seen The Sopranos? I have
1: seen you know, it. I mentioned to you on Slack, my parents are very into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had kind of fallen off. But like a few years ago on HBO, they'd been doing like marathons of it. Yeah. So they finished up and they picked up. They finished up, excuse me, and they picked up where they left off. So I kind of saw it in bits and pieces. And believe it or not, actually, there's a coworker of mine. Uh, his name is Paul, and he... he long story short, he had a bunch of Pauls in one of his classes in elementary school, so uh, his teacher uh, wound up calling him uh, Polly Walnuts at the time, because you, you know that Sopranos yes. goes back. Like, I was yeah. still in uh, high school when it was first around. Oh,
0: God, that you're so young. Oh, <laughs> I'm so yeah.
1: old. But I do, I do understand the characters. I do know, uh, obviously, James Gan- Gandolfini, I think was a fantastic actor. One of my favorite roles, actually, Zero Dark Thirty is one of my favorite movies. I think he did a fantastic job playing oh yeah, former, former uh cia director leon yeah excellent fantastic movie. performance yeah yep love that so i am familiar with the characters and kind of the premise uh the settings and whatnot but the specifics to the extent of you or super fans definitely not
0: yeah so i mean and that's fair i mean it, it to me it's it's one of those uh i would say it was the original uh prestige tv show like this was the show that People made time for. They sat around. It was on cable. And it was something different than I think most people had ever seen. And it really pushed the envelope into what we see now with all the streaming services. And it really was, I mean, in many ways, the forefather of everything that has exploded since then. I think when you look back at how TV and streaming and cable and how they produce shows and what the subject matter is, I think it all goes back to The Sopranos, which made me very excited for this prequel. Uh, now, obviously, with James Gandolfini uh, being deceased and some of the other key figures in The Sopranos also no longer with us, uh, I was very interested to see where they would take this story, what kind of actors they would they would use. Now, I wasn't I wasn't let down by the actors in this, and and this is just going to be a quick and dirty review. I thought the the performances were good and what this story was about was about uh christopher malta father dickie malta sante and his story and kind of how it was really sold as how tony soprano kind of what he saw and how he learned and what led him to become the mob boss that he eventually became what we got was a pretty good story about Diggie Maltesante and what kind of sociopath he was. Uh, And it was entertaining in that way. I thought that the performance by the actor that played was was very good. I thought there were several standout acting performances. The problem was the story was bad. It was a terrible story.
1: Do they have someone playing Tony Soprano? Like it was They do. Not, so his obviously son not Gandolfini. ja-
0: James Gandolfini's son Michael played the role of Tony Soprano.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. So
0: it was it was pretty cool in that way. And I thought he captured the character in a pretty good way. And and here's what's funny is he came across more like AJ Soprano than Tony Soprano, which when you think about it AJ was obviously Tony's son and it kind of gave you that whole everything is cyclical feel to it that Tony, while he was kind of the big badass mob boss, was at one point an insecure kid who was headed down the right path, and then his family kind of led him astray. So, bottom line with this for me, it was a a letdown. Uh, The story was very choppy. I don't think there was much of a good plot to it. It, Everything was very forced. Uh, And while the acting was good, I think that they missed the boat overall. So, what I just wanted to say say yeah, if you're a okay, so, good finish your thought finish no your thought. i was gonna say if you're a sopranos fan you should watch it but keep your expectations at a minimum
1: for any of the true italian listeners you could say get god so that basically <laughs> just means kind of like uh you know what the hell i actually learned that from uh an italian fan i met with when i was with uh, a few of my british friends watching the euro final and obviously i was being very respectful congratulated them and uh you know i heard them yelling that quite a bit Uh, decisions when they, when they didn't go Italy's way, they're like, okay, God, okay, God. So, so it's kind of funny.
0: Like, yeah, Tom, it's funny because like one of the things that I've taken from the Sopranos and and applied to my own life is whenever my wife or one of my kids like gets a little mouthy with me, I give them the old Tony Soprano. Oh, (laughs) I still do (laughs) it to this day. So uh, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now Chuck, now Chuck, if you uh, were involved in one of these families and worked with them, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to assume anything. But would your front business be a, a strip club like it was in uh, The Sopranos? <laughs> like, yeah, so And, and gotcha. if so, like I want to know what the name would be,
0: and if I should come check it out or uh, like what. I, I would be the, the worst <laughs> strip club owner on earth. I, <laughs> I wouldn't even be a good strip club DJ because I would play all 80s hair metal. You're, which Maybe would be great, but yeah, I would be the only even one. even a better one it.
1: for you. If, if, if it wasn't that, what would your front business be? Because every uh, family in mafia they have a front business. Yeah. So
0: if it, it wasn't a strip club, what would it be for you? probably be like something lame like a fireworks shop or something like there is a <laughs> there is like a massive fireworks shop near where I live and I every time I drive by I'm like all right they're either cooking meth in the back they're laundering <laughs> money there's something going on they're not really just selling fireworks like who the hell is buying fireworks in like I don't know like January well, I don't even get it but <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway all, don't, all don't, kinds don't, of different holidays
1: yeah don't know chuck get, real quick do you watch did you watch entourage as well were you an entourage I, fan
0: I I was I thought the first two seasons were good and then I like really it fell off to me so bad. I was gonna say because my parents got into rewatching the
1: Sopranos after, so obviously like in college I was a big entourage super yeah. fan. The last couple of seasons were in 2011 when mm-hmm. I was a senior or junior and senior in college. Man, Jamie Lynn is it Jamie Lynn Siegler Sigler, she's the daughter in the Sopranos. Yes. Yep. She broke Turtle's heart in that show. And I just, for, <laughs> for that reason, I'm like, oh, that's the girl. Because in Entourage, Chuck, obviously, as you know, like act, like celebrities, they just play themselves. Yeah, yeah. They're fictional, you know, mannerisms uh, sometimes, but like it's just everyone plays themselves. And Mark Wahlberg, he's the producer, he makes like several appearances himself. Yeah. And in one of the last seasons, uh, <laughs> uh, last couple of the seasons, Turtle, one of the characters in the show, has a, uh, a long relationship with Jamie Lynn Siegner- Siegler she winds up shooting a show in like new zealand or australia she winds up calling it off even though turtle was faithful and i was just i was so let down there's a lot of relationships <laughs> i really wanted to work in that show e uh kevin dylan's character and anna forest i really wanted that to work but some uh you know um i don't know if i can say like certain words but some asshole uh producer got in the way of that happening great like great series you should go back and watch it chuck and maybe you'll have the same uh the same feelings
0: towards uh jamie lynn siegler after that <laughs> well she would be better off with anybody but turtle he was such a lackey but anyway turtle had a
1: big heart man turtle he had a did big heart, he, he
0: was he, he was actually i like the actor that played him and he was a pretty good character but man uh that show fell off for me after the first couple of seasons and i i, I followed it through but all right, all right. Just, fair enough yeah fair enough. it just I, I can't explain i just thought it really and, just went And downhill.
1: definitely not for the faint of heart with uh especially ari gold and all of his jokes yes, right. uh slurs towards lloyd definitely yeah not. warning of <laughs> discretion if you've never seen the show before <laughs> yeah. jeremy piven is uh,
0: uh who plays ari gold yep yeah 100 great character well uh, tom i think that'll wrap it up for this week thanks for joining us on this episode As for you listeners, as always, we appreciate everything you do and every download you you do for us and every episode you listen to. So keep checking us out at BavarianFootballWorks.com. You can catch our our coverage of all of the Bayern Munich action, all of the Germany action there. If you want to catch up with any of us on Twitter, you can get uh, the site at BavarianFBWorks, which Tom does an awesome job running. You can get me at The Barrel Blog. You can get Tom on his personal account at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. And you cannot get Schnitzel and Samarin to this point because they will not get on Twitter. So, again, (laughs) thanks for listening. We will see you next time.